Hi folks, a uh, quick programming note. This is Chris, I'm on vacation right now, but I am going to get this audio out to you as soon as possible. It's gonna sound a little different, but uh, just know that I will get that fixed uh, in the next week or so when I'm back in the United States. Okay, enjoy. Bryce Wynn. Bryce Wynn. Welcome, Bryce. We're thrilled to have you. Longtime listener. You and I have been buddies on Instagram for a while, and you are uh, filling the big shoes of Chris tonight while he's off on some beach in Bora Bora. I am so sorry. Is your connection breaking up? Uh, My connection seems to be okay. I'm getting you just fine. Are you getting me okay? Um, The audio is cutting out a little bit. I'm so sorry. It sounds good now. Oh, no worries. Okay. Okay. Um, we can. I'll, I'll go ahead and st- we'll restart real quick, and don't worry about re-recording. He'll be able to cut out that front part. Okay. Um, and if if you have a problem with my audio, we can try uh, just like waiting a second, and seeing if it works, and um, if it's not going through, just let me know. Okay. Uh, note it, and fix it. So hold on one second. All right, okay. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast of the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Thomas, here with my special guest host. Bryce Wynn. Welcome, Bryce. Thank you so much for being our guest host this episode. Of course, you have some big shoes to fill. Chris is on a beach somewhere in Bora Bora celebrating his... Moon, but we are thrilled to have you here, um, long-time listener, obviously, and uh, you and I have been Instagram buddies for a while as well. Yeah, and um, we follow each other on Twitter as well. That's right. So, I, you know, you've always had good, insightful feedback for us, and so I thought it would be fun to have you as our guest host this episode. So we really appreciate you filling in. Um, of course, Chris will be back uh, next week, but our episode next week will be probably around the weekend because Chris doesn't get back, I think, till next Friday. But uh, he will be back for that one. Before we really dive into, well, first I want to talk about some of the theories that are buzzing around before we actually get into this episode, which is, of course, episode two, the morning after. Um, I want to remind everybody, as always, that they can catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. We have good conversation going on there, and we continue to get great messages with good theories. Of course, you can always email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com, and you can rate us and review us um, wherever you get your podcasts, whether that is uh, iTunes or I know a lot of people listen on Stitcher. I don't know if you can rate us or review us on Stitcher, but if you can, we'd really appreciate that. (laughs) Um, so before we really get into it, Bryce, of course, what we always do is kind of our kicking things off with what are you drinking? So what uh, what beverage do you have this evening? Good old-fashioned sweet tea. That sounds lovely. I know you're from the South, so I'm sure that's a, uh, a regular in your rotation. Oh, yes. Always have sweet tea in a refrigerator. Perfect. Well, I'm drinking some bourbon, which is you know, from Kentucky. Kentucky. So down your way. So cheers to that. Cheers. Now, 
before we actually dive into this episode, I wanted to talk about a few some this I don't know about you and let me know what you think. I almost feel like this season has more fan theories circulating than some of the past seasons. Uh, maybe than any past season. I feel like maybe because a lot of things are shrouded in mystery, there seems to be a lot of kind of crazy ideas floating out there about how things tie together. I agree, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this is the really the first time we are going into a season knowing who most of the cast is going to be. Um, mind you, outside of um, Langdon, we haven't really met any Murder House or Coven character at this point. But I think because we know we're going to eventually meet those, that is how the um, fan theories are so prevalent. It's because people are just trying to figure out how are the um, writers and Ryan Murphy going to bridge these very two different seasons. I mean, to me, um, outside of Asylum, Murder House is one of the darkest seasons of American Horror Story. And Coven, even though it had dark elements, was pretty much very campy and comedy. So I'm, I think a lot of people are just wondering how are they going to mesh these two together. And then you have this third element of these new characters. So, I mean, people's imaginations are running wild right now. Right. Well, let's talk about some of these theories then. I'm hearing a lot of buzz of people trying to relate Timothy and Emily to somehow being related to Kit from Asylum. Have you heard about any of these kind of interconnections? Actually, I've heard that maybe... um, I remember Kit had two kids, and the thing is it wouldn't make sense because... um, Timeline-wise. Timeline-wise, because Asylum took place in the 60s, and Kit probably had those kids in the 70s so they should be in their 40s late 40s right. by now yeah exactly i think you're absolutely right timeline wise it wouldn't make a lot of sense there would have to be some of that kind of timeline manipulation for that to work out i mean i guess in theory they could be descendants of kits somehow or they could be um there could be some time travel weird genetic engineering element well they I were half alien of- remember so that could play a part into it as well that's very true, and I think that there's a lot of people susp- thinking that there's ways that you know the alien aspect could tie in again, especially because we're seeing that image in the opening credits of like the microscope over the house that I think was from the Asylum season. We did have Amber on Facebook also mention kind of the idea that uh, Emily and Timothy, kind of playing with the whole religion theme, serve as our almost Adam and Eve characters in this kind of um, waste, you know, post-apocalyptic wasteland, which I kind of liked that representation of them as well. Yeah, I was just going to say something now. I hadn't heard the um, theory about um, Emily and Timothy being children of um, Kit from Asylum, but I heard that, um, if you recall in Roanoke, Lee had two daughters. She had uh, Flora and another daughter named Emily, and so people are speculating that perhaps Emily... This Emily is um, related to Lee from um, Roanoke. Right. Because I think that she had that, you know, I think when Lee tells her story in Roanoke, she's relating back to far before, um, way in her past where her daughter disappeared and she never found out where she went. So there's a possibility that there could be that link up too. Yeah. 
Um, the other theory that was mentioned, um, Michael on Facebook reminded me that um, we are supposedly going to have, well, we know it's coming, that Madison Montgomery is going to play a role in this season, and that there was a lot of theories going around for a while that she was related to Charles Montgomery, of course, the famous abortion doctor who built the murder house, and that we might see some of those connections in this season as well. Um, now, you were explaining to me this theory about, you know, how because hotel the ending of hotel is technically in 2021 that's somehow proof that the apocalypse will potentially be reversed in this season can you explain that theory to our listeners well yeah actually i just double checked the um wikipedia page for hotel and actually that season ends on devil's night 2022 and that was the year that james patrick march was saying that if we can make it to this year um, the Hotel Cortez would be considered like a landmark and they'll never knock it down. And um, they wouldn't have to worry about their spirits being displaced. And so we actually flash forward in that season. And right now, I believe we're just in 2019 in Apocalypse. So a lot of people are wondering, well, is this just a mistake on the part of the writers or um, is this basically foreshadowing that something is going to happen that makes the events of the apocalypse not take place at all so so and i think that you make a good point you know i think a lot of people be frustrated if there's not some kind of explanation for why that timeline doesn't add up so a lot of people are hoping there's going to be some kind of magical reversal some kind i don't know maybe somebody's having a dream or something like that but something that basically makes it all shake out Mm -hmm. and the and uh, the last fan theory I wanted to mention before we actually go into the morning after is one that Amy shared with me on Facebook that um, Miss and I think maybe someone else had shared this too that Miss Venable and Miss Mead represent two of the four horses of the apocalypse. Miss Mead, of course, being war, and she talks about her war experience last episode, mm-hmm. and Venable being famine, which would kind of fit with not only the way that she kind of starves everybody in episode one, but the way that they really emphasize the way she kind of starves everyone's sexual urges in this episode, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Of course, that means we're missing the other two horsemen of the apocalypse, which would be conquest and death. So, you know, potentially those are characters we already know from a past season, which could be interesting, or they could be ones that are introduced us but i was wondering what you thought about that potential theory see i've i've toyed with the idea of the four horsemen back when the um master trailer was um released on youtube if you recall there was a brief scene where um langdon is standing in front of a table and there are four men sitting at it so i assume maybe those were his four horsemen and i very distinctly remember um, Jeffrey um, Boyer Chapman's character sitting at that table. I believe Billy Eichner was sitting at that table. So I don't know if those are the four horsemen. I like the idea that um, uh, Miss Mead, Miss Mead, and Venable are involved. I would probably say that um, I think there is a um, horseman called is it Strife. Or is Strife and War the same thing? Because I see Venable as kind of someone that is going around creating discord. Whereas Mead is basically just kind of like executing everything and like doling out the punishment and everything. Uh, And you especially see it towards the end of this episode. How 
her actions are just kind of inspiring people to like turn on each other. Right. And I'm excited. Okay. And that, that's a good transition to go into this episode because I'm excited to talk to you about some of the kind of, um, the events that happen at these two kind of primary storylines. Before we actually really dive into the morning after though, I wanted to kind of start out with, I guess something kind of fun, you know, because we always, uh, you know, you and I follow each other on Instagram. One thing I always enjoy is that you are always really apt at picking songs that you post on Instagram that represent your mood. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if, if you had to pick a song that represented this episode or represented your mood after this episode. I was wondering if you could find, think of one off the top of your head. It would probably be uh, a Lana Del Rey song uh, because to me she is the perfect artist to just zone out to, which I've honestly felt myself zoning out a lot this episode so anything from her born to die album um would probably suffice (laughs) i think that's pretty apt i was going to say something a little more blatant like you know marvin Gaye's let's get it on because obviously we have x playing such a prominent role in this episode but i like your your choice better uh so with that being the case let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the cold open here you know, we start with Emily opening the wardrobe, and there are snakes in it. Um, I mean, felt like we were in snakes on a plane. You know, we have snakes everywhere, and of course, these snakes end up becoming dinner immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're chopped up into a stew, and we get some funny banter until they are alive again. Um, what do you make of this opening scene with the snakes being chopped up into bits and coming back to life? Is that just some kind of, you know... Um, demon magic from michael or what exactly is that supposed to represent to us well um i think as we see through this episode that not everything that we're seeing is is what it seems and i kind of got a um adam and eve vibe i got an adam and eve vibe last episode you have these two young people who are being introduced into this new environment and even the way that um both characters, um, Timothy has more of an innocence about him than um, Emily does. And there were many times during this episode that she was kind of tempting him. And then, of course, you have this presence of Langdon in the house who kind of is representing this devil figure. And then snakes. It just felt very Garden of Eden to me. I think that's absolutely right. That's what I thought of, too, is you kind of have the snakes representing that you know metaphorical tree tree of knowledge scene and then of course you know she draws him into langdon's room later to to look at his computer um the other thing that i noted when we were in this opening credit sequence is that kyle allen who plays timothy and ash santos who plays emily are listed as guest stars do you think does that mean anything more than you know they're just new characters do you think i mean does that mean they're not long for this world they're only guests because they're going to die or i mean Maybe I'm overblowing that, but it, it stuck out to me that they were guest stars and not kind of appearing, their names weren't appearing with the regular cast, considering they're kind of being our main characters thus far. Well, if you'll recall, Angela Bassett and Gabourey Sidibe were guest stars in Coven, and they were pretty much featured in every episode of this um, of that series. So I think it has something to do with... Um, sag how people are built um because even like i've read somewhere like to get your name after the and um is a big deal and i think kathy bates is like 
and Kathy Bates. Little yeah. things like that kind of denote your um, your position. Your position. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Plus, what everyone that's going to eventually be on this show that would be a long title sequence. If yeah, yeah. No kidding. Well, and I think that you make a good point. And it's also worth noting, obviously, that we know a lot of times the writers aren't finished writing the season by the time this, the first episode airs. So, for all we know, you know, maybe they're not sure at the you know initial couple episodes whether or not they're going to write Emily and Timothy out of the season yet. You know, mm-hmm. they're not entirely settled. Now let's talk a little bit about Michael, the uh, Prince of Darkness. Uh, he introduces himself to a full crowd of people in the study. This had somewhat of a clue-like feel to me. I was thinking like, oh, we have the devil in the study. Mm-hmm. What's, I mean, with, I don't know, the whip, the candlestick. Who's to say really? There's plenty of items going on around there. He kind of runs through the different compounds that were established. I just thought this was interesting to note. There was one in New York. I think it was in Syracuse. There was one in West Virginia and one in Texas. And I suppose the one that they are at, this compound three, is supposed to be the one that was kind of the West Coast outpost. Mm -hmm. He also mentioned some international compounds that they suspect were overrun but don't know for sure. Everyone inside, of course, was massacred. And the sanctuary was the failsafe that supposedly has certain matters that will prevent it from being overrun. What do you think, I mean, speculating, what do you think those matters he's referring to are? Is that magic, like with the coven? Or what are your thoughts? Well, I highly suspect that the sanctuary is the murder house. Um, And in that final episode of Murder House, when that new family moved in, um, we saw what could possibly happen when all of the ghosts get on one accord and decide they don't want people in that house. Um, so I'm thinking that maybe they're referring to the ghost inside the murder house that are going to keep, you know, the occupants safe. I think that's a good theory, and it would also make sense for a lot of the characters that we know can't leave the murder house mm-hmm. because they're dead. I mean, I guess if it was a Halloween, they could go somewhere else, but we already know that some of these characters are going to appear in a couple episodes, and it looks like maybe next week is going to be our Halloween episode. Yeah. And we're not even seeing those characters yet. So I think that's a good theory, and I, I kind of hope it's correct because I know that, I, speaking for myself personally, and a lot of viewers would like to revisit the murder house as a destination, especially as kind of a post-apocalyptic place with you know thinking back to the you know creepy wallpaper and everything that you know the the um harmons kind of uncovered as they were living there and then of course getting to see all those characters that populated as well um now the michael mentions that the cooperative's questioning technique is called quote-unquote cooperating which just seemed a little bit cheesy to me um i thought it was funny that coco uh specifically calls out is you know says is is this the hunger games because last week when chris and i were talking we were saying okay this seems very ya dystopian so i guess at least they are self-aware that this is seeming quite ya dystopian what did you think about that there is a lot of um pop culture references in this episode um the hardy boys um reference stood out um even the fact that i got a kick out of the fact that they played time in a bottle some jim croce yeah yeah which as you recall evan peters played quicksilver in that epic scene in um days of future past plays that same song and 
I was, you know, and then they played some Fleetwood Mac, and we know that Stevie Nicks is going to appear at some point. So this has been a, the pop culture references, I don't know if they're doing that to kind of like, that was something that was done a lot in Coven, and maybe they're trying to use it to kind of merge with the murder. I don't know. I, I, I didn't care for it. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think you make a good point that Coven used music as a device a lot um, in pop culture in general, but especially, you know, makes reminds me of music. And I do think that, it, I mean, it seems to have an intentional effect. When we're looking at Time in a Bottle, for instance, you know, we're at a point where all the characters are still just sitting around and waiting, and you kind of feel their um, impatience, I guess, with kind of all of this, this waiting game they're playing, which kind of fits with the mood of the song, also kind of the melancholy tone of the song. And then you have um, that Fleetwood Mac song later, which I think I looked up which song it was because I couldn't remember the name of it. I think it's called Gold Dust Woman. Mm -hmm. And I, that actually kind of fits with the Joan Collins character right before, of course, Mr. Gallant goes on to kill his grandmother. And so I, maybe they're using it as kind of a foreshadowing device. I'm not sure. I understand you not caring for it. I, uh, I'm i on the fence about it so far. We'll have to see how it works. Maybe that's kind of how they're establishing that coven tone in such a dark environment right now. Mm -hmm. But I think you're, you make a point that it, like there's a little bit of discord at the way it's, it's moving right now. Um, let's talk about Mr. Gallant's interrogation with Michael for a minute and some of the questions he asks. Um, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of rhyme or reason. I can't imagine, well, so you got to kind of look at the three questions he asks him are really, what's your sexual orientation? Tell me about your anger, which isn't really a question, but it's a prompt, and tell me about your grandmother. So these are obviously questions that are specific to Mr. Gallant. And it obviously also indicates that Michael has some background information on Mr. Gallant going into this. What is, what do you, th I mean, I get the impression that Michael's interrogations are not just information seeking, but he's trying to prompt something or figure something out as well. What do you think is his kind of game he's playing in these conversations? I think he's, I have a theory that he's recruiting right now. And even though, um, I don't want this to happen because I think that when it comes to um, political things, Ryan Murphy can be very heavy handed. But I'm thinking we're going to get a male coven, female coven battle royale by the end of this season. Interesting. That's an interesting theory. And it also would kind of fit with some of the anti-man speech that Venable has later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a good point. And the recruiting is an interesting thing, too, because effectively then what he would be doing is prompting – he's pushing Mr. Gallant to commit the murder. Mm -hmm. is, is effectively what you're saying, right? He's yeah. like he's, – he's exploring his past, talking about these moments in which Nana embarrassed or, you know, um, felt disgust apparently for Gallant and kind of drives him to ultimately commit this act. Um, and that would kind of fit with this, the conjuring of the rubber man. Um, we obviously see, well, first of all, I want to ask you, like, this is pretty much the only, I mean, if we're considering rubber man a character, rubber man is thus a recurring character, you know, a our first returning character in this crossover season. Um, it is the same outfit from murder house. I just double checked it to see, if mm -hmm. sure it was the same leather outfit. 
Now, question for you. In these early scenes, who is in the costume? Is there anybody in the costume? Is it Michael? Is it some magical conjuring? Is it all happening in Nana and um, Mr. Gallant's mind? Do you have any kind of theories based around that? I think it's all uh, involving whatever magic Langdon is using. Um, For all we know, it could have been an illusion. And... Technically, wasn't Langdon kind of meeting with Venable at that time? Uh, yes, I think this was when... I think that this was all happening when Emily and Timothy were in Langdon's room because Langdon was in with Venable. Yeah. I think you're right. So, at this point, um, I just think it's something... I think Langdon is just messing with um Mr. Gallant um and you know you mentioned Venable was talking about she had her like men or trash um monologue and I thought it mirrored Mr. Gallant's whole declaration of like how he hated how his grandmother kind of like emasculated him and you know he that kind of gets into the whole topic of toxic masculinity and everything. Like I said, I know um, it would be very topical with the whole Me Too movement going on right now for um, Ryan to um, be writing all of this into the episode. I don't know where he's going to eventually go with this, but as for who's in the suit, I just think that I've always thought the rubber man itself was a manifestation. Mm-hmm. I think you're right there. Um, and it could probably take the forms of many people. So, mm-hmm. I yeah, hate- I think I think that's good analysis. And you know, I think that you know, if Michael is recruiting, in some ways, when he shames Venable in their tête à tête, he is pushing her to the brink of her anger and shame and frustration too. It, Excuse me. In the same way that he's kind of provoking Gallant to talk about, you know, later the the hole that's missing in him to draw the anger out, um, that would be fitting with kind of that theory about maybe if that's how he's choosing who's going to the sanctuary, maybe kind of who has this bloodthirsty anger is is how he's assembling his his squad. It's very interesting though because um, his assessment. With both of them, it kind of bought out her vulnerability. That was the most vulnerable we've seen her character since we first encountered her. Whereas the result of his encounter with Mr. Gallant brought out all of this rage, which resulted in Evie being killed. Right. Well, and, you know, speaking of the interaction with Venable, obviously this is when we understand, you know... Um, we know that she has moved with the cane, obviously. That's kind of her trademark, distinctive um, character piece right now. But now we know that it has to do with her spinal curvature and that sort of thing. And also, this interaction had an interesting little speech from Michael in which he talks about coming across the young mother with two children and how they were covered in tumors and sores. Um, And all the while, he's crying while he's telling this story but the tears are just silent. His his face isn't, you know, screwed up in any kind of emotion, which is, it, it, I mean, that's a little bit unsettling as is. He, he, it's not like he's necessarily displaying empathy. And, of course, at the end of the story, when Venable asks if they, he granted them mercy, he says no. 
And I'm wondering what you took out of that monologue, what exactly Michael was trying to convey there. You know what was weird about that um, is that I feel like Langdon um, is supposed to be seen as this devil figure. But I almost got a Jesus vibe from that story because there are so many stories in the Bible of like Jesus just wandering from town to town, encountering people who are suffering. Um, But again, there's the twist of him not helping that instantly reminds you, no, this is indeed the devil. Um, Right, the Antichrist in its most literal sense. And I think that's a really good point, drawing the the parallel back to biblical stories and showing kind of the distinction that Michael manifests as the, you know, prime opposition to that force of good. Uh, you know, wrapping up kind of what ends up happening with Gallon after that, obviously, you know, Nana rats him out, which is, I mean, pretty heartbreaking considering he's the one who brought Nana into the bunker in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um I did think it was an interesting, like, little character thing that they had um, Gallant scream out the names of famous, you know, gay activists every time he was whipped. Yeah, that was that made it like was interesting. I think Evans doing a pretty good job with that character. Um, and then, of course, you had the interaction where Michael kind of arrives and finally provokes him into um, being—he kind of provokes him into confronting his grandmother. But it's not like I, I almost thought that. Gallant was going to murder Nana right there in front of everybody in the living room after he finds it out and they really have their confrontation. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was interesting that um, even after, you know, Nana tells him, you know, one lifetime with me is worth 50 of yours, which is, I mean, pretty brutal when she really goes through all of his background story. And I thought that was a good way to weave in some of the background for Gallant, too, without being too heavy handed with it. Then we just kind of have him sitting there crying until Leatherman lures him in to kill Nana. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know about you. I didn't really see. I didn't see that coming. So I thought that was an interesting little twist for this episode. I thought that Joan Collins. So I'm assuming Joan Collins is gone at this point, right? Which I figure she would be. Um, I due to some things I've seen on the internet. Um, when they said that uh, when Langdon came in and said that certain people would not be allowed to go to the other, you know, safe zone, the sanctuary. I figured that of the characters we have, the two people that would be more um, just um, easy to get rid of would be Mr. Gallant and Evie because I know that they're going to have other characters that they're going to be playing, whereas Emily and um, Timothy are just Emily and Timothy and... um, Coco is just Coco, and of course, Diane is just Diane. Everyone else is just playing a singular character, so I felt like it would make more sense for them to possibly move on. And if there were going to be people that stayed behind or were killed, it um, would make sense it was Mr. Gallon and his grandmother. Right, which is a little bit too bad because I did think the grandmother character was a lot of fun. She was. Um, she had some terrific lines. She's kind of the um, Myrtle She's getting um, the Myrtle treatment right now. You're absolutely right. She's getting those kind of those. She got all those zingy one-liners for this uh, episode. Now, the one um, stretch or the kind of subplot we haven't talked about is, of course, the Timothy and Emily subplot. You know, they sneak into, you know, like you mentioned before, kind of with Emily's 
prompting, they sneak into Michael's room and find his MacBook, which just um, has his, his email interaction with Venable right there, very accessible. And we learn, of course, that the no sexual contact was Venable's personal rule, which we'd also learned, you know, we, we have the kind of parallel diving into that while Michael's confronting her in the other room. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- I guess I wanted to think about this a little bit. What is, why does Venable make such a big deal about this particular rule? And especially after Michael basically tells her to like stop you know that that rule doesn't matter and she shouldn't do it anymore she still makes a point of enforcing it with timothy and emily at the end of the episode well any feeling for why that you know she hangs on to that so hard i thought it was just as simple as um probably in the real world prior to the apocalypse with her having this deformity and everything she was probably put in positions of feeling powerless. And it's kind of like when someone is able to kind of what if someone is being bullied and they're able to kind of what am I trying to say? If someone's being bullied and they're able to confront their bully and get rid of that bully there's always that 50-50% chance that they could become the bully them themselves. So she went from having zero power back before the apocalypse to being in a position where she's had it. And I think this is just one way for her to kind of, you know, hold some power over these people, especially since a lot of these people would probably represent quote-unquote bullies prior to it, especially those with wealth and you know, right. power. Yeah, you know, she's, you know, basically the boss over people who have higher status than her. And I think that you make a good point, especially when we learn more kind of about her back and everything like that, that you get the impression from the way she acts about it that, you know, maybe she didn't feel comfortable in the world before or she felt looked down upon or something like that before she was in this new dynamic that was the, um, the post apocalyptic outpost. I really hope it's not something darker like she was raped or something oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, I agree. I hope that that's not part of the story either. I mean, I, I like the idea of her character more just being kind of drunk on power. I mm-hmm. feel like that. I mean, then we go in a different direction and it becomes, I mean, it's dark already, but that becomes obviously even more significantly darker. Um, I also thought that the rubber man on the ceiling, um, the rubber man just appears in some weird places. Like he's always creeping on people in this episode. And when he's on the ceiling watching M- Timothy and Emily, it felt a little bit like, you know, it, the Japanese kind of horror movies where you have like the, the person on all fours, like up on the wall. Or something. Yeah. It had, it had that interesting kind of feel to it. Um, and then of course, Timothy and Emily decide, okay, well, this rule was arbitrary, so we're going to go ahead and go for it. We've been, like, aching to have sex ever since we got here. And they're pretty much immediately caught. Um, well, if you if you know this rule is being enforced and you're going to do that, don't get caught up in the afterglow. That's what made me so mad. Like, I'm like... Yeah, they're having, like, after... They're just sitting there afterward. Oh. <sighs> I was just like, come on, come on. But we knew it was going to happen. I'm surprised they held out for as long as they did. 
Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, 18 months or whatever, right? I mean, pretty reckless of them after all that waiting to not be more careful about it, I guess. Um, but they were reckless. The I think that was something else the episode was showing that, um, you know, Emily was the one who was wanting to leave the compound and kind of take the suits and take their chance out on the road not really thinking things through like the sanctuary could easily be a hundred miles away they don't even know for sure if it's in California or not um and she's just kind of like no one was thinking rationally this episode at all right yeah that's true there was a lot I mean it was a lot about things like things happening based on impulse and urges and then also that would fit with kind of the eve imagery as well her being the one that kind of provokes timothy and herself kind of past their innocence that they've maintained for these 18 months yeah i mean you know if you want to get even deeper than that you have venable pride you have um mrs mead um wrath you have lust with timothy and um emily you have um Greed, you have pretty much all of the deadly sins going on with, right now. Yeah, with Nana has some greed. Coco has some. I mean, Coco has vanity. I, I think that's a good point. We've talked about the deadly sins making appearances in past seasons, but they're very much on the surface with kind of all this, you know, apocalyptic and religious imagery we have going on here. And then, of course, the final scene we get with Emily and Timothy. Uh, Timothy shoots me. Um, yes, he he went into some. Um, Mission Impossible, like... He did. Those reflexes. They're going to have to explain that. Like, okay, this is an 18... At the most, 18-year-old kid. Like, where did you learn this? Hey, maybe if he's genetically engineered by aliens, that would explain his crazy Mission Impossible reflexes. Um, I Also, Miss Mead had a really gross wound there. Is mm-hmm. that supposed to be she was exposed to radiation, or what do you think that that was supposed to reveal to us? Well, with her constantly being the one sent outside, I'm not surprised, you know, that maybe she's picked up some sort of radiation. She's uh, contaminated or something, yeah. Or it could be something as um, she picked up, because isn't she like a former former military yeah, I think she mentioned she was former military and her family came from a long line of military. It could be anything like either that took place before or something she's being, um, you know, exposed to that, you know, maybe she isn't being all too honest about right now. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, it's something we're going to learn more about, but that was, you know, interesting development there. And we'll see if Emily and Timothy end up being able to. Well, I think we know they don't escape because I think they appear in the next week's episode preview, but we'll talk about that in a minute. That's kind of where the episode ends. And um, before I go through my kind of evaluation and ranking, um, I want to hear your thoughts and what you would give this episode. I think last week, I don't even remember what we ended up using as kind of our bar, but someone suggested to me on Twitter that we should rank this week in, in stew stews from mm-hmm. that line last week. I thought that was, I thought that was, I think we did jello. That was jello cute things. Yeah. This week we'll do stew stews because that was a pretty funny line. So tell me what you think of this episode overall and how many stew stews you would give it. Um, 
Oof. I'll give them I three. Mean, be honest, yeah. I'll okay. give it three because they're out. It kept my attention. I'm going to be honest. It did keep my attention. Um, I like some of the dialogue. One thing I wanted to ask you about, at what point did American Horror Story, I mean, American Horror Story has always kind of pushed the limits on language and sex, but there were like four F-bombs this episode, and I was just like, I had to remind myself, I'm like, this is cable TV. Like, and I don't remember that from the early um, seasons. Um, it's, it's, it's just very interesting that, like, the language seems to be amped up. And they, I noticed it with uh, Cult last season. Um, you literally have um, Mr. Gallant just getting railed. But the rubber, it's just like everything seems like it's been turned up a notch this season. Yeah, well, and I think that's interesting with the the profanity because I think, you know, as much as we have seen him push the limits, I'm not sure I remember, you know, like you said, four F-bombs in an episode occurring in a past season. I feel like for me, in my memory at least, the season that stands out for me is amping up the violence and like the the visual violence and sex was hotel. Yeah, with At the drill bit dildo. Yeah. Right, and then you know just the way there was so much blood, you had all the orgies and everything. It was it, that season felt, and it was supposed to be very over the top in that regard. And I wonder if in that way it was kind of the turning point for when they were like, okay, now we're just going to really push the limits going forward with everything else. I just remember back in the 90s, it was a big deal because NYPD Blue was showing people's butts, you know, (laughs) on screen. And now, I guess it should make me feel good that in 2018, there are things that still shock me, but I really noticed it this episode. And I'm certainly no prude, but like, you know... I was just like, wow, like I had to keep, I had to like turn on my guide. I was like, this isn't Netflix. This isn't Hulu. Like this is, you know, anyone's kid could just like turn on the TV right now, flip to FX and get the shock of their life right now. <laughs> well, I think that's an interesting point too. Like maybe, you know, the having Hulu and Netflix and all these streaming services that have more freedom and have less restraint because of those sort of regular network regulations have pushed the network channels to, you know, expand their boundaries in ways that they hadn't before, True. you know, just to compete in one way or another. True. You know, in my thinking through this episode, I think I'm going to give it three stew stews as well. That's a little bit down from my four. I gave it last week. So that's six out of 10 for the two of us combined. And the reason I'm a little bit down on it is while I did keep my attention same as you, I would say that I still felt like this episode was a little stagnant. It irritated me somewhat that we were not moving forward more quickly. Um, I think I really felt it, especially when we got to the scene where uh, Mr. Gallant's listening to Time in a Bottle in on the couch, and it just feel, felt like everything was way slowed down. And I was just thinking to myself, what this episode needs you know, if we're not going to be, you know, introduced or, or reintroduced to some of our more familiar characters from past seasons, which I think is what everyone's really excited for, and I thought would happen this episode, 
what we at least need at the end of this episode is some kind of dramatic selection about who's going to go to the sanctuary Mm because that's kind of what they set us up with with michael giving the speech at the beginning and to not have that at the end of the episode left me feeling a little bit like there was something to be desired i think um, and a little bit frustrated with it and thinking, okay, we need to pick up the pace. I want to see these characters from past seasons. I want to get us out of the bunker now. Or if we're not going to get new characters in the bunker, I want to get us out of the bunker into the sanctuary where we get these other characters. Um, so with that said, any more kind of thoughts to you know, sum up or summarize this episode before we discuss next week's episode preview? I wonder if the reason why... Um they're slowing it down like this is because since these are our newer characters, they're really trying to get us acquainted with them. And they know once they introduced the coven and the murder house characters, that's what everyone wants to see. And these characters are going to definitely take a back seat, no matter how much they're supposed to be, how important they're supposed to be. They know that once Madison and Tate and Violet come back that that's what everyone is basically showing up for this season. I've read comments from people like I haven't watched this show in seasons, but once I heard that they were going to bridge Murder House with um Coven, this is my first time watching this show since Coven. I was like, so this show this season is really bringing back a lot of old viewers and you know, Ryan Murphy and company, they're very intelligent and they're smart. And I feel like they're doing this on purpose because I that trailer for this episode very clearly had Cordelia in it. And I just knew we were going to hear a knock on the door and they were going to come walking in this episode. That's what I thought, too, especially when we heard the Stevie Nicks song. I was like, okay, now we're having the coven come or something yeah. like that. But instead, we got the rubber man at the door. And I think that you're absolutely right. I think that this is intentional. But I do think at the same time, they risk pissing people off a little bit. Because, you know, I thought maybe, okay, we don't see any of the returning characters in episode one. And then that makes sense because we're building the background of these other characters. But I'm surprised that they held it through episode two as well. Because now you're getting to the point where people are going to start getting irritated that they came back to see these new characters or these their old favorite characters and they're not there yet but notice they quickly dropped that preview for next episode in and like before you leave they're coming they're coming well that's so let's let me ask you about that then and we'll dive into the the next week's preview so if anybody doesn't want to hear about next week's episode this is the time you can sign off but so next week we're getting a it looks like a week episode uh there's lots of snakes so there's gonna be lots of snake imagery continuing and it seems like we're getting some new guests. What did you draw from that? Do you, is it the coven? Are we still in the current bunker? Are they going to the sanctuary? What do you think is happening there? Well, okay, I had a theory. If Devil's Night is the night where theoretically all that are dead can walk the earth, what is that going to... And we literally watched the decimation of the entire planet pretty much. Does that mean things are kind of be going to be as normal? Are we are everyone just going to be walking around for 24 hours? Um, which could ex- or it becomes oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say cuz I've always wondered like how are they going to bring back Queenie and um, Madison and um, Myrtle who all died? Um, is this how we get them back? 
it just so happens to be devil's night. I hope this isn't like for one episode, they just bring everyone back and then they're gone again. Or is some sort of magical, powerful, magical spell going to be performed to bring them back for good? I, I, I don't know. There's so much they can do with, you know, the whole devil's night idea. Because, you know, like I said, you had all these bombs go off and kill everyone. Well, technically, Devil's Night is where the, the night that everyone can come back and walk the earth freely. So, as you know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry that died in the explosion just going to all of a sudden show up. Well, right. Are we just going to get like a whole series of? I mean, is it going to come almost like a zombie? I mean, they're not zombies, but you know, people with all these. <laughs> you know, horrific injuries wandering around trying to break down the doors to get into the bunker? Maybe. Um, well, don't we know. don't know what was in there before. Um, from what um, Venable said, it used to be an old boys' school, you know, before it was taken over. We don't know if it was a polite acquisition of the property or if there were people killed in order to obtain that piece of thing. Maybe it's something already existing in that... Um, Outpost, yeah. Right. Well, we know that already. We've seen Stu killed in that outpost too. So we know. And Evie now. Yeah, that's true as well. So that's actually a good point because that could be a way they could bring Joan Collins back for additional episodes as um, Nana as well. So interesting. Yeah, we'll see what they end up doing next week. I'm surprised we're getting a Halloween episode so early, but I guess with a shortened season, you can't exactly time it perfectly because Halloween's going to be in kind of the final. I don't. I didn't uh, plot it out specifically, but it's going to be kind of in the final stretch of this season, and they probably didn't want to waste a, a late season episode on a Halloween episode. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that hopefully it's it's fun in the tradition of what those episodes used to be. I just finished rewatching the Halloween one and two episode from Murder House, um, and forgot how uh, yeah, able to create those those episodes were. Now so, I had a question for you. Um... Yeah. Do you think that are the characters from Coven going to come back in the capacity of the present being involved in the present or because I can almost see American Horror Story because when you think about it, it's been five, six years since we've seen those characters. They could very easily have those characters interacting with each other in a flashback does that make sense it does make sense and i you know i've thought about this a little bit because i do think that episode six is supposed to be the episode where we get jessica lang back as constance and we get i believe dylan mcdermott and um connie Britton back as ben and vivian Harmon. and it makes episode six is definitely to be a flashback, mainly because I think that's what it, I, I'm assuming that's what Const, to see Constance again. Um, but that said, I guess Vivian and Ben are still alive, or not alive, but their ghosts are trapped in the murder house. Um, I don't know. I always suspected, or at least was expecting, that the coven would come back and be still alive in the present somehow, revived as saviors of you know, whoever's left kind of the force of good Mm -hmm. in counteracting Langdon's bad. So that's the expectation I've had. So I kind of hope that they're not just flashbacks, 
But that said, I don't really have any grounds for that other than what I was hoping for. So that's entirely a possibility. Yeah. Because um, I've seen photos of all of them. And there's... And then we still got to figure out, like, because technically the last time we saw Queenie was she was being murdered by Ramona Royale in the Hotel Cortez. And they're going to have to explain how she's back, considering she's in a completely different state. Um, Madison was presumably buried somewhere. A Myrtle was burnt at the stake. So you have all of these witches who we are seeing are going to be on the show. How do we bring them back? Is it going to be in the capacity of Devil's Night? Was is there some sort of magic we're unaware of? Well, remind me. In, it's been obviously. If you see, I haven't rewatched Coven since I watched it when it was originally airing. But Myrtle dies multiple times in that season. Correct? She's burned at the stake more than once and comes back. Yeah, she's it, burned, and Misty Day discovers. You know, because part of Misty's powers, she could sense the other witches and so she came upon um Myrtle's chart body took it back to her like swamp house yeah that's right and brought her back um now that second time I thought was definitely for good plus by that point Misty had failed the um the sensium test and turned into dust right and she was stuck in that um science room yeah, hell in her mind or whatever. So I think that that would have to. It seems to me that maybe Misty Day would be the link to somehow bring a lot of these dead characters back. But they're going to have to figure out well, how do they bring Misty Day back, which is going to be the trickier storyline to make plausible. Well, I, I keep think. thinking about the um, one of the main visuals um, since before even the trailer came out when we were seeing. Um, the promo for this season, one of the major um, things we keep seeing is the idea of the hourglass. How as the sand runs out on one side, you can just flip it back over and start it all over again. So I wonder if that's kind of almost a metaphor for this season of, you know, when time runs out on one side, you can flip it around and, you know, maybe reverse some things. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's a possibility for some kind of time travel component in this season, which, I mean, with the the way there's so many questions about the timeline currently, I feel like that would be a possibility and would integrate a lot of these characters from the past in as well in that way. So it'll be interesting to see, see how that comes together. But, man, okay, we've already knocked out two solid episodes, and... Um, I think that you and I would both say we're a little a little down from maybe episode one in this episode. Well, you had told me before that you were kind of so-so in episode one of the season as well. But I, I hope, I'm hopeful that we'll start getting things going a little bit more in episode three when we have some of our hopefully returning characters back. I think if this season had approached things the way that season six did... I probably wouldn't feel the same way that I do. One thing I liked about season six, that was the season we went in completely blind. We didn't even know what the theme was going to be. Um, and with they, Ro- Roanoke, right? Yeah, yeah, with Roanoke. And they could have even said Apocalypse, and that could, a million ideas could spin out just from that word and not have said anything else. The problem with um, 
And I've noticed this with Ryan Murphy is that he's kind of that um, kid in your creative writing class that is like, oh, I have an idea for a story. And then they commence to tell you the whole story. And I'm thinking to myself, like, well, do I even need to read this? That You told me the whole plot. And it's like he can't help himself. And I think this season would have we would receive these episodes better if there was a little mystery involved. But the fact that we know so much about who's going to be in this season. Now we're literally just waiting for these characters to pop up. And so it leaves room for disappointment because I know for a fact there were a lot of people, according to comments that I read, who were so convinced that we were going to see Cordelia. Um, I don't think people really expected to see any of the Murder House people right away, but people just knew that Cordelia and um, Myrtle and, you know, Madison, Madison yeah. were going to show up this episode, and they didn't. So I'm almost, I like reading every um, Thursday, I read AV Club's uh-huh. um, review of it. So I'm I'm anticipating some very angry comments. I hear you. Sure, like we were saying, you know, sharp words. I, I think there's expectations, and I think you make a great point about Ryan Murphy, kind of setting those expectations side. But then you got to follow through when you kind of tease people that way. You know what I mean? And now we're getting hungry for it. Like I was kind of saying, I feel like now we're just waiting, and I'm starting to get frustrated because I want to see, I I want to get at least a little taste of, of you know what we came here for, so to speak. So. I just don't think he can help himself. I, I, I don't um, think he can help himself. He gets excited. Because remember, this season was actually not supposed to come about into season nine. And I don't know what changed um, for them to move it up a season. That's a good question. And maybe it has to do with season nine, but maybe it had something to do with the, how this was time too. So, or maybe it had to do with when they could get all the people back for it to actually come together since they have so many returning cast people that they wanted to put back in. So I guess that'll be, that'll be the questions left to be answered. But I feel like that's a pretty solid point to stop on. So I do want to thank you so much, Bryce, for being my special guest host this episode. Um, And remind everybody that Chris and Eve will be back next week, but it'll probably not be until the following weekend when we get to record the episode and kind of get things up there. But uh, any final words, Bryce? Thanks so much again for being here. I appreciate you having me on. I really enjoyed myself. I love this show so much. Um, Flaws and all. Um, And I'll definitely tune in next week, even though... You know, I'm not feeling particularly optimistic right now based off of this episode, but I know it's going to get better. And if I can just hang in there, I'm, you know, we're going to get our Madison, we're going to get our Myrtle and, you know, things are going to be great. I agree with you. It's coming. And, you know, with all its shortfalls, that's why we're all here is because we enjoy the show and we're waiting for these kind of payoffs to, to come on down the line, which they which they will. And we know that there's going to be some good episodes, some really good episodes in store for us, too. So with that being said, I want to thank everybody for joining us. As always, catch us on Facebook, email us at, at this American Horror Story at Gmail and rate us and review us on iTunes. We sincerely appreciate that. So until next week, happy hauntings.